Let us pray together. Dear God, in Scripture we hear again and again your promise that your steadfast love, your chesed, endures forever. And yet we hardly dare to believe it. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to dare to believe and to live and love in the same way. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So this past Wednesday, I was walking along and I had a good laugh over at the corner of Buchanan and College, just around the corner from Justin and Ashley's home. I passed uh, St. Peter's, United Church of Christ, and out in front there was a sign that I'm going to try to say very carefully. It said, get your ash in church. I'll say that again. Get your ash in church. Of course, I was walking on Wednesday, right? And it was a promotion for their midday Ash Wednesday service. Ash Wednesday, of course, is uh, the very first day of the 40 days of Lent. As we've heard this morning, it's a season of repentance and renewal where we journey and walk with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry today at his baptism and we accompany him all the way to the cross and then to his astonishing resurrection. And the purpose of Lent is not to feel terrible about ourselves but instead to help us to clear away the stuff in our lives that has come to crowd out our relationship with God. You know, just like a home needs a spring cleaning. Any of your homes need a spring cleaning? No? No? Okay. (laughs) All right, Rose did away with that. Or just as a computer hard drive sometimes needs to be scrubbed clean of viruses. In the same way, the followers, we the followers of Jesus, need an intentional time every year to repent of our sins and to make more room in our lives for the life of God. So in Lent, every Lent, we are invited to give up something. And we can give up things like chocolate. But I hope that instead we would give up things more substantial. Things that are actually separating ourselves from God. And what might that be in your life right now? Bitterness? Pornography, hurry, self-hatred. Imagine if people gave up their self-hatred for Lent. Maybe they'd give it up for all time. 
And then in this season, we are also invited to take up stuff. Take up particular spiritual practices that help us to connect more fully with God. Maybe fasting, or journaling, or walking and praying. So this morning, I invite you to open your ears and your hearts and to be asking throughout our morning together, what might the Holy Spirit be calling you to give up and to take up this Lent? In our Genesis story today, we travel all the way back All the way back through the mists of time to primordial history and to the story of Noah's Ark. And there are parts of this story that are just so wonderful. And we love so very much, don't we, to tell them to our kids about Noah building his boat, gathering animal pairs, sending out that dove, In fact, our denomination's logo comes from this story. But the fuller story, truth be told, is a mighty disturbing one, don't you think? It's about the human family turning so wicked and so violent that God feels so sorry ever to have created them that God drowns all but eight in a devastating flood. We don't usually put it that way, but that's what happened. And in this story, we meet a God, truth be told, who hardly seems to resemble the God we later meet so beautifully in our Lord Jesus Christ. And since we are committed to reading and wrestling with Scripture through Jesus, we just have to ask, does this story really tell us who God is? Or many thousands of years ago, does it tell us who the Israelites understood God to be? Big difference. And is their consciousness of God just like yours and mine, growing and developing, sometimes taking two steps backward and sometimes taking three steps forward? Friends, let us wrestle mightily with this story, but for goodness sakes, let us never throw it away. Never, let us never leave it dusty and unread on our bookshelf. Because it's here in this story that begins the beautiful, beautiful arc, no pun intended, the beautiful arc of God's covenantal relationship with humanity. It starts with Noah and his family. 
And then it continues later on with Abraham and Sarah. Samantha is going to cover this next week. And then it goes on, the covenant goes on with Moses and then David. Later, through the prophet Isaiah, or excuse me, through the prophet Jeremiah, God shares the promise of a new covenant that's not going to be written on stone tablets anymore, but on our very hearts. And then in Jesus, God extends this covenant to all of humanity, to all of us. And friends, it's by our baptism that each of us enters into this covenant. So the God that we meet in this unfolding story in Scripture, first fuzzily, if that's a word, And then, in ever sharper focus, is a God whose fundamental orientation toward us is one of enduring commitment and steadfast love. In Hebrew, chesed. And today, in our story, we learn that the scope of God's chesed is as large as all of creation, as we saw in that blanket comforter image today. God's covenant of peace is made with human beings, not only human beings, but also every zebra and penguin and kangaroo and Baltimore Oriole that comes flying off the ark. I just had to get that in. God promises never again, never again, to blot out the world's violence with more violence. And the rainbow that we see above our county is a beautiful sign, an eternal sign of God's renunciation of violence. Now, while covenant may be one of our Bible's central themes, the problem is is that it's a word that we hardly ever use anymore, much less understand. And this is because we live in a world of contracts where I will do my part only as long as you do your part, and when you don't, I'm free to walk away. That's a contract. And for this reason, some marriages aren't measured in years, but in days, and sometimes in hours. Easy come, easy go. But in the Bible... The Hebrew word for covenant is berit, and it means to create a bond. Put your hands together and pull a bond. And we have this same image on our bulletin cover today. It's what we're talking about sometimes when we say people get married and they tied the knot. 
We also find this same language in many of our beloved hymns. Blessed be the tie that binds our Christian hearts in love. Our hearts in Christian love. Let that grace like a fetter bind my heart to Thee. And we'll be singing a little bit later this morning, I bind my heart this tide. A covenant, it's been said so beautifully, is in agreement un... Let me start over. A covenant, it's been said, is an agreement not unlike a contract, save but for one minor detail, it's completely unlike a contract. (laughs) A contract is a legal document that is conditional. And we usually enter into contracts for reasons of self-interest. But a covenant is not a legal document. It is a sacred relationship. It is unconditional. If one party fails to follow through, the covenant remains. We saw that in their polling. In the, the covenant remained. A contract, it's been said, is to covenant as ink is to blood. So why does God want us to live in this covenantal way together? Friends, it's because covenant creates the relational space where we can all experience life together as God intends. It creates communities and churches characterized by deep well-being, safety, Trust and connection. And it attracts the rest of the world to come and live and love in the same faithful way. But the reality is that being in a covenantal relationship, whether as a member of East Chestnut whether we're in a marriage or in an intentional community, is also incredibly hard work. Amen? And truth be told, we will all, all of us, invariably go through times where we want to untie that knot and run. Amen? I didn't say we do it, but we want to. Covenant holds us in place long enough to learn and to grow, especially to grow in God's costly and faithful love. We stay around long enough to be transformed by God and we hope to take on God's character of faithfulness. And friends, because the breaking 
of a covenant causes such heartache. And we've all experienced this heartache. The church has a crucial role to play in helping all of us to enter into our covenants with great care and much prayer. Because we don't take them lightly. And after a covenant is made here at East Chestnut, whether a baptism, a marriage, church membership, raising a child, ordination, we then do all that we can to help each other to keep the promises that we have made. This is one of the beautiful ways that we image, reflect our faithful God to each other and to our world. And when God's people actually, actually, actually live in this way, oh my, it's beautiful. In Chicago, I once heard a story about a growing congregation that decided that it needed to add some space onto their building. And one member was fiercely opposed. And after the vote didn't go his way, many worried, even assumed, that he was heading out the door. When the new wing was almost finished, the church had a work day to put on the new roof together, and everybody's surprised that guy showed up. And he was up there putting on shingles on the roof with everybody else. Finally, someone said, we thought you were against this project. And he said, I was. And then they said, well, we thought you were leaving us. And he said, I couldn't leave this church any more than I could leave my own family. And I wonder, dear friends, if our greatest witness to our incredibly polarized and divided world right now is not how in the church we're going to agree on everything. We've proved we don't. But our witness to the world is, in fact, the faithful way that we hang in there with each other and keep loving each other even when we disagree. Because the most astonishing thing in our Genesis story today is God's continued faithfulness in the face of humanity's continued unfaithfulness. It's after God realizes, post-flood, that the hearts of Noah and his family have not been washed clean that God covenants with them. You can look, Genesis 8.21. In an act of unspeakable grace, 
Brian Walsh writes, God decides to unite God's heart, God's broken heart, with the deceitful and violent hearts of human beings. God loves us not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And so this Lent, we're being invited to make a very deep shift in how each of us sees God. Many of us grew up believing in a contractual God who will only begin to love us after we have changed. And so we try our very hardest to be good, but we're always left with the crushing feeling that it's all up to us and we're never, ever going to be good enough. Never worthy enough. But the good news for us seen most clearly in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, is that our covenantal God loves us so that we can change. Like a loving parent, God won't ever give up on us or sever our relationship. God's steadfast love, chesed, endures forever. And Psalm 136 repeats that 26 times God's steadfast love endures forever, apparently knowing that we're going to have trouble believing it. I am your God, and you are my people, period. God's covenant bond with us is unbreakable. And it's this faithful and costly love that God wants to be the catalyst for all of our transformation. Amen.